Welcome to Connect to Capital, the podcast brought to you by Scale Investors. I'm your host, Catherine Robson, Chair of the Scale Investors Board. Our vision at Scale Investors is to create a world where gender does not limit access to capital. We do that by putting our money where our mouth is and investing in outstanding women founders. But even more than that, we know the transformational power of collaboration and we are passionate about connecting founders with the advice, education and deep network that will enable them to thrive. In this podcast, we interview Australia's most successful and thoughtful venture investors because we believe that knowledge is power and education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. We hope you love this conversation and are as excited as we are about giving all entrepreneurs the opportunity to create a better future. It's time to open access. Jackie Billings is affectionately known by most people as Jax. Far from her birthplace in the UK, she now finds herself as an investing partner at one of Australia's most successful venture firms, Airtree. Despite winning most of the prizes that there are to win growing up, first class honours at history at Cambridge, three Cambridge Blues in women's lacrosse, the Bundy Scholarship for Academic Excellence, the Dunster Prize for History, and the Sarah Springman Prize for Simultaneous Excellence in both academic study and university sport. These days, she's much more impressed by behaviours than the badges of success. And when it comes to being a great venture capital investor, Jax believes that there's one attribute that trumps all the others. More important than curiosity, analytical skills, sales acumen, or even operating experience. Jax believes that the one trait that trumps all the others is agency. The ability to develop a plan and take action without anyone's permission. Hi, Jax. It's great to see you. Great to see you too. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And you just mentioned that you've come back from the UK um, and now you're based in rainy Sydney. Is that right? The rain is biblical. It's terrifying. Yeah, I'm back in Sydney. <laughs> so, so how long have you been based here in Australia? I moved over in 2017, so I kind of grew up in the UK, just outside of London, went to school and uni there, did eight years of work there, and then uh, decided to make the take take the big leap and um, move over to Australia and start a new career in 2017. So um, that was a big year, and it's it's been a, it's been a fun ride ever since. I've been in Sydney since December 2017. So when you look at your sort of resume, there's not sort of a clear path to, to venture. So, you know, in terms of what you studied and then your early work history don't necessarily point to where you've ended up. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what you cho- chose to study at university and how that's led you to where you are now? Yeah, I think first up, almost no one has a clear path to venture. It's one of those careers that um, nobody really knows about at university. and so. There is no defined path, which I love about it, really, because you end up with a very specific type of person, usually not based off education or badges, but much more based off um, curiosity and agency, which means that the people you get to work with are very fun. But for me, I studied history at university, which isn't very common in Australia, but in the UK, it's much more common for people to study humanities or kind of academic subjects rather than vocational subjects, and then go on and do something completely different. I think history, surprisingly, is really well designed for a career venture. 
really what I was doing. I had almost no contact hour. I had one contact hour a week at the university and my job was to read anywhere between five and ten books a week and write an essay on a new topic and then defend that essay in a one hour uh, one-on-one session with an expert and so really what I had to do was absorb a huge amount of information, analyse the different perspectives, form an opinion and then argue that opinion firstly in written form and then in oral form each week and so strangely that's actually very similar to what we do in venture like learn as much as you can about a new industry very quickly, form an opinion about where you think the opportunities are, whether you think this company will be able to grow very fast and make meaningful change in that industry, whether this is the team to do it, and then defend that both in a written investment paper and kind of orally with your investment committee. So strangely, very well suited, I think. Interested that you talked about the people who end up being venture investors tend to be more a type of person rather than people that have come from a particular discipline. The other thing about you is you're an athlete at university and excelled in that as well as your academic studies. And it seems like venture attracts people who are high performers in whatever they do. Is that your observation also? Yes, but I think that term often can seem quite intimidating. I would say the people would be characterised by curiosity, so they just love to learn. What we have in venture is breadth rather than depth. So we learn and work with a ton of companies across a whole range of different sectors. And we are much shallower than necessarily, say, a founder who is working in one sector in great depth. And so it really suits people who are very curious and are are willing to optimize for breadth over depth. And then I think it also um, is designed for people with high agency, really, because there is no set path to doing this well. You have to figure out your unique and authentic way of becoming an investor and finding great companies and getting them to want to work with you and then developing long-term relationships with them. And everyone does that differently, but no one's going to put it in your lap. You have to go out there and get it. And so I think high agency is another one of those characteristics. Agency is not something I think everyone's necessarily familiar with. And you wrote a great post about what agency means, which I, I really liked. Agency is about being a self-starter, developing a plan, taking action without permission. Is that something that you've always had naturally or is that something that you've consciously built in yourself? I have had to unlearn a lot of things over my life. I came from a background where my parents were immigrants, really valued stability. And I was taught from a young age to get a good job and stay in it. And then I went to a school where it was really all about how do you get the very best grade in the test? And I think those two things probably were things I had to unlearn in my career. I've actually found that to get what you want in life, you usually have to go out there and do it. And I think in my my early years of my career, I was too willing to believe that this is the best institution to work for. This is the path that all the smartest people go down. Um, I should follow that because that is what is done. What I have kind of learned through that is actually you should really follow your own path, one that ignites the fire within you and makes you want to go and be better than everybody else because you absolutely love doing it. So I've had to learn that and I probably it probably took me too long. 
but kind of there now. I mean, it's so interesting because I think there's a gender element to that too because I think girls, as they're growing up, are taught to sort of draw within the lines and get rewarded for being sort of perfect and scoring high, being quiet in class and scoring well on the test and, and following the path. Given your lived experience, how can we get more girls to, as you say, unlearn or reject some of that behavioural societal pressure earlier so that they're not sort of mid-career and needing to make courageous changes and have the opportunity to have more of that agency earlier in their lives? I couldn't agree more with that as a, as a position. I would love to be part of making that change. It's a really hard thing to do. I would love to bring together a whole load of investors and just go talk in schools. I think that probably is the right place. Like at 15 years old, when kids are making these decisions and and those formative years, getting women to start small businesses, Shopify stores, dropshipping, whatever it is, to learn that there are no rules and you can make things happen in the world. I wish that I had been able to do that myself or had the confidence to do that myself. But I really think it's kind of you can't be what you can't see. And so um, how do we get the women who are doing it today to meet and inspire those young women who could be hopefully a multiplier effect in the future? And the number of kind of women either you know, pursuing ambitious careers, whatever that is, either as a founder, as an investor, as anything else. Uh, that post I really like, I think the title is Behaviour Not Badges. And I think it's harder, I think, to demonstrate your capacity to have agency and to deliver value to others through your behaviour. What would your recommendation be if someone wants to eschew the path of getting a degree from Cambridge and going to work for Citibank and Merrill Lynch and and getting collecting some of those badges that sort of certify the fact that you're a, a hard worker at a minimum? What would be some of your recommendations to be able to demonstrate that, that you've got the behaviours that will create value for others? I think it really depends on the area that you want to work in or thing you want to do. But I would say doing the first version of the work that you want to do in the future. So I'd say like if you want to create, if you want to make films, then creating a short film on your iPhone with your friends and doing more and more of those and getting slowly better at that over time. If that's, you want to be a founder of a business, that could be anything from, you know, at the age of 15, setting up a drop shipping store, setting up an Instagram account that you build to lots of followers, learning the very basics of digital marketing and then freelancing on Upwork and building a track record and then slowly over time building a little agency. I think there are so many things that you could do on the side of your education I remember university as as the time when I had the least structure to my life. And so probably the most availability to work on things like this. So I would recommend that that is a great time to do it, but you can still do it on the side of a job as well. I think something like freelancing is is a great example of something that can be done on a nights and weekend. Um, You mentioned that your parents were immigrants. Where are they from and, and how did they respond when you sort of took a different path to the sort of secure path of working for one of the big brand name investment companies? My mother is from New Zealand and my father is Dutch and they're both immigrants to the UK. 
my mum did not like me leaving banking. Uh, that was a really difficult time for me. I spent years agonising over that decision. It took me a really long time to make it, largely because I just had all this self-doubt around, and what am I doing? Why am I not happy? I have a job that is not unreasonable in terms of hours. I make great money. I'm good at it. What are you doing? Why aren't you happy? Are you ever going to be happy? It was really hard for me and it, it didn't help that whenever I spoke to my mum, she thought I was absolutely insane. You know, I was probably earning at, in my 20s what she was earning in her 40s. And so she just thought I was crazy. You know, now she thinks it's great. And everything looks easy or looks like it makes sense looking backwards. But at the time I left a really great career with no plans, joined a seed stage startup with no promise of success, spent a couple of years there learning a huge amount, but with no kind of external validation that what I was doing was the right thing to do. And I've been so fortunate to end up where I am at Airtree and, and fall in love with this job. But, you know, I got rejected from Airtree the first time I applied. None of this was obvious. And so I guess my advice to other people would be, take small risks that encourage you to take bigger risks and bet on yourself even if you don't necessarily 100% believe it because you can do way more than you think you can. So tell us about what it's like working at Airtree. It's the best job in the entire world. I feel incredibly lucky. Uh, in terms of day-to-day, -day, really what we do is we meet founders, tens if not dozens of founders a week um, who are working on building large global businesses from Australia. We want to invest in the first check in a, in a company. So really pre-seed, pre-revenue, seed stage, or, and then keep backing founders as they grow. We have a large fund, so we can kind of do 100K check and then all the way up to kind of $30 million into your later stage rounds as the company grows. Yeah, so each day is, is meeting founders, going to due diligence. So you know, finding out you know, why why is this the team to build this company? What is the problem they're solving? What is their kind of unique insight into that problem? Why hasn't it been solved before? Is the market large or is it small but growing very fast? Um, is the product delightful to use? Do customers love it? And then, you know, later on, usually there aren't numbers when we first invest, but if there are, we look at those in terms of understanding growth and unit economics. Um, and then we tend to have an investment committee meeting where we throw around ideas. It's it's really important for us to have diversity of thought in the team. And, and we are big believers in kind of disagreeing with people's ideas, not with the people themselves. Um, and so we have a kind of a lot of psych psychological safety around the table for making sure that we're really questioning each other and getting to the right answer. Um, we don't operate on a consensus basis. You know, we... We believe that often the best ideas aren't obvious to everyone, but we want to make sure that we've identified and thought of all the potential key risks um, and key opportunities and then investing in, in what is probably a small probability of success. But if it is successful, it could be a very, very big outcome. And you talked about that sort of breadth versus depth issue in venture. Do you specialise in a particular type of company or will you look at you personally as a, an investing partner? Will you look at 
companies across the whole spectrum. What's your approach for, for cultivating really successful pipeline? We are looking for businesses that want to scale to hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue in the next decade. So it's a very specific type of company that is usually a technology company, just because often the speed with which you can grow is greatly facilitated by being able to operate in bits rather than atoms. We have invested in some hardware or physical products businesses, but there needs to be a technology angle most of the time. In terms of sectors specifically, we are generalist investors and I lean towards consumer, healthcare, fintech, but really invest across the board. So I've invested in B2B SaaS companies, I've invested in consumer subscription companies, e-commerce, really a, a very broad range. We're really investing in people rather than specific types of business. It takes a really specific type of person to go on this journey and be very successful. And when we find those people, we like them. So any companies you would call out specifically that uh, you, know, you think have the potential to fulfill the aspiration that you have for your portfolio? Well, every business that we invest in hopefully has this possibility of being very large scale. In terms of kind of the traits of the founders we back and, and who demonstrates that, I think Sally at Lived, um, they're a seed stage uh, technology working on helping people with their relationship with alcohol today and she is a great example of a founder who will run through walls to solve a problem she cares deeply about and that is something we're always looking for also someone who cares deeply about culture within the company and understanding that you know to hire the best very best talent you need a mission that they care deeply about and then you need to build a culture internally that makes people excited to come to work every day i think another great example of culture leading to great outcomes is, is eucalyptus which is a digital healthcare company and they show how building a great culture leads to hiring the very best young talent and then operating at very fast speeds and speed matters so much because ultimately as a startup all you really have over incumbents is speed and being able to grow fast is really the dictator of whether you'll be able to fulfill this mission in, in the time frame available and so I'm a big believer that you know, having a strong culture leads to great talent having great talent who um, believe in each other leads to very very fast operations and, and that is really what leads to success and so they're a great example of that I think um, resilience is another crucial trait and they're the founder in our portfolio uh, Matt, who is the founder of Grow, and he is an amazing example of uh, resilience. They started out years ago as a direct-to-consumer superannuation provider and quite quickly realised that the administration technology that super funds use is horrific and um, designed in the 1980s and pivoted the company to build B2B software to do administration for super funds. And he has the kind of hairiest go-to-market there is. They are selling kind of the crucial technology that the Superfund runs on. These are massive customers with 
really important infrastructure. There's no moving fast and breaking things in, in super admin. And so they have had to overcome obstacle after obstacle to get to market with this product and years and years of overcoming setbacks. And just today, the company is in such an amazing position. It's looking so positive and what Matt has done to, to keep the culture together through these years on the way to product market fit has been astounding and, and something I really admire and learn from. You know, I've heard you talk about how you've loved to see growth come from direct-to-consumer companies who have, you know, raving fans and that, you know, Web3 is maybe the next iteration of the capacity to sort of have a relationship between a company and their consumers and sort of sharing in, in the value created. Are you able to talk a little bit about where your head's at with Web3 at the moment? So it's obviously an incredibly difficult time in the market. Um, we are still big believers in the potential of the technology. I think Web3 is one of those areas where I get very excited by the technology and um, very put off by the people some of the time. Um, I think at the moment, it's this mix of speculators and technologists. And I think the speculators can get in the way in terms of narrative and headlines and just being loud in the community and I think particularly for women that can put people off because it comes across as quite jarring and crass and everything else but if you think about the underlying technology the opportunities I think are amazing and we've been through crypto winters before now is a great time to build really take the technology from something with great opportunity to something solving real problems in practice so we are still investing we can invest in tokens and equity we want to back uh, australian employee founders building in this space uh, so many of the young talented people i meet want to build in crypto and i think where the most talented people go is often where the most exciting opportunities come and so we are still very much investing and very excited and um, you talked about the importance of culture and i couldn't agree more airtree seems to have a real culture of, of sort of um, collaboration and sharing. So, you know, there's an investment beyond just the, the air tree investments and investing in across the ecosystem. Is that the right perception? And how do you experience the culture of air tree? I've been reflecting recently on how lucky we are to blend kind of a mix of people who have these two things, which I think are quite difficult to come together often, but really powerful when they do, which is smart and humble. We have an amazing team of very, very humble people who work hard and uh, care about each other. And I feel very lucky in terms of how we interact with the world externally. We believe very strongly in opening up access. And what that means is opening up access to the kind of black box of venture capital. Uh, it's a very it's a niche industry with a, a lot of confusing terms and we want to make it as simple as possible for founders. So we have the open source VC section of our website, which is designed to provide templates and playbooks that make it easier for founders at every step of their journey interacting with venture capital. We also want to open up access to our networks. Expect to see more of this in the future, but we want to run more and more events and community-related activities around just 
we interact with all these amazing people how do we open up access so that other people can learn from them and so watch this space for lots more of that coming in the future too um and in terms of you building your skills to become a great investor what's some of the best advice or, or help that you've received along the way i hope that i will be a great investor i don't think i'll know that for a few more years but hopefully in terms of learning how to do the job i obviously didn't really know how to do financial modeling before i started at and i taught all of that to myself and, and got help and mentoring from the other people in the team I'm a big believer that you can teach yourself almost anything. And so um, believing in yourself and, oh, I'm not, I'm not that numerate, I won't be able to do it. Oh, really, actually, Excel isn't that hard when you just learn how to do it. It's really just learning the selection of formulas and putting them in a spreadsheet. It's, it's actually not that difficult. So I think believing in yourself to learn the technical elements, whether that's kind of financial or legal or areas like that. And then something that's been really impactful for me is I so I believe VC is really all about access the difference between the private markets and the public markets is anyone can invest in public stock you need to be able to meet founders and earn the right to invest in them and be chosen by them in the private markets and so access is much much harder and to get access people need to know who you are and so one of the things I often advise to kind of emerging angel investors is to understand what they care about and what they want to be known for and then put themselves out there talking about it publicly and I think speaking publicly on social media and writing for the first time is really intimidating and absolutely terrifying hitting publish the first time you do but the more you do it the easier it becomes it's the only way really to allow people to get to know you before they've met you and so you know my newsletter for example is I do it for that reason it's it's a way of me feeling like I have a bit of creativity and creation in the world and it's a, it's a nice outlet for me but also I just write about what I care about and I hope that when people read that they get to know me a bit before they've even met me. And do you find that it has a clarifying function as well that it helps by writing it down helps you collect disparate thoughts? Absolutely I almost don't feel like I have understood something until I've written it and I often find as I'm writing that I don't understand it and I need to go back and start again. Uh, so I find writing extremely valuable. I know people are very different, so it's it's probably not the same for everyone, but it's how I learn. Usually my blog posts come out of something that has been kind of gnawing away at me in the back of my brain for a few weeks, and um, I really want to tease it out, but, you know, without sitting down for six hours and forcing myself to write, I really can't, and so um, that's the forcing function for me. What about people who've had a big impact on your life, sort of role models or mentors that have had a lasting effect? This is a bit corny, but I think the my partners at Airdrie are the people who I who are my role models. I joined as an associate four years ago and knew nothing, and they were so open with teaching me along the way, and they have that. Uh, intelligence and humility that I was talking about earlier that balancing that at the same time I think is is difficult to do but but so important and then you know I'm a new mum I have an eight-month-old daughter and I'm learning how to do this as a mum and balance work and family and be present with her and with my partner and we have a value at Airtree which is there's more to life 
it's super important to us that everyone puts family first. You know, Alicia, John, James, Craig, they do that. They live that. And so I'm learning from them there as well. One of the things I really like about your Substack is that there's lots of resources, including reference to a whole lot of books. Any that you would call out in particular that you think people really should read? Book recommendations is really hard for me because I read a lot and I'm totally obsessed with, like I said, I, you know, I'm very curious. I love learning. And so um, I read a lot. Um, some kind of, I guess, from across like a range, but probably nonfiction. There's a book called Endurance by Alfred Lansing, which is the story of Shackleton's attempt to reach the South Pole in 1914, which is an absolutely extraordinary story of resilience. And so powerful to read so I recommend that there's a book called Behave by a neurobiologist called Robert Sapolsky and what he attempts in that book is to explain why humans do the things that we do and he does it by talking about everything from neurons firing in the milliseconds before we make a decision to hormones to adolescence to culture formed over millennia and he tells that story about what is a pretty big book but so interesting and so much to learn there and then I guess thirdly I would say there's a book called Complexity by Mitchell Waldrop and that's kind of recounting the history of complexity science and how that's evolved and what complex systems are and how complex systems emerge everything from kind of economies to cities and that's a a really fascinating story too. So any advice that you have for entrepreneurs who are thinking about raising capital? Firstly, I would figure out what type of capital you want to raise and really what that actually is, is what type of business do you want to build? What does your ideal day look like in 10 years time? And how do you solve for that? I think so often like, it's just difficult to understand all the different types of capital out there and what you should do and people are you know, you're reading things on the internet or people are telling you certain things and it's just difficult to find out. But you know, understanding, do I want to build a global business with thousands of employees and hundreds of millions of revenue? And do I want to kind of throw everything at that and make a lot of sacrifices to do so to solve this problem? Do I want to build a business that gives me freedom in my life where I get to make the decisions I want to make and own my own time do I want to build a business that has kind of 30 employees that we all know each other really well I think having a clear understanding of business that you want to have in 10 years time then helps you decide what kind of capital you want to take VC is perfect for businesses that want to do that kind of thing that I want to be thousands of employees and hundreds of millions of revenue in, in a decade and solve this problem on a global scale then we are the right partner for you and and then my best my best advice for those founders would be get in touch early start having a conversation before you think you're ready because we really invest in in lives not dots we we want to meet you and then you say in that meeting this is what i'm going to do in the next six months and then we want to meet you in six months time and see that you've done that and you've been able to prove the three things that you wanted to prove and uh, achieve whatever goal it is that you wanted to achieve. And, and it, it may be that you didn't actually do the thing that you said you were going to do, but you learned something different that sent you in a different direction. And really you know, coming back to that idea of speed, so much of, of being successful as a startup is moving very quickly. 
And so what we're really looking for is seeing how fast you move and how fast you learn over that journey. And most of the time we invest in founders who we've known for months, if not years. And so I like to invest in people um, because really I, I want to have the relationship with someone over a 10 year period. And it's really important that we have trust and um, believe in each other. And it's really hard to do that over two Zoom calls. So I find it very difficult to invest in someone I've only just met very recently. So yeah, get in touch early and build those relationships. And just to be clear, the, the sort of second and third types of businesses that you noted, the sort of the business that allows you to have, you know, more of a balance between what you're achieving professionally and your non-work life or, or a small team that's really tight, that stays together for a long time. Those are not the sort of businesses that are ideally venture-backed. Is that what part of your advice also? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, final question, what are you really excited and optimistic about? We're at this really exciting in Australia and New Zealand at the moment where we're just at the turning point. We have these scale-up companies that are now very big where there are people who have been working in startups for three to five years who, who may be taking secondary net, secondaries now, so have a little bit of capital behind them and have the, the skills and the ambition to do their own thing. And so, or invest in the next generation of people doing their own thing. So I think we um, are at this turning point, at this tipping point where we're going to have so many more founders coming through who have seen and done it before, who want to invest at the angel stage um, and help new founders get going, or we want to build the businesses themselves. And so I think we're going to see the number of uh, venture scale founders compound quickly for many years to come and and we're very excited to to back those companies oh it's brilliant to spend some time with you thank you so much for sharing your story thank you i really enjoyed the conversation we hope you loved today's conversation as much as we did and are fired up to take your startup journey to the next level as an investment network founded by women no one better understands what it takes for women-led startups to thrive like scale investors We believe education is a key driver in removing the investment gender gap. That's why we created Scale Educated, an education platform with online courses for both founders and investors. If you're a woman founder, Scale has two education programs. Scale Founded, a five-day short course combining one-hour live webinar sessions delivered by experienced investors and founders, access to an online education platform and the opportunity to network with trailblazing women entrepreneurs. Scale Founded is launching in February 2022. The other exciting program is Scale Empowered, a 10-week facilitated series, an opportunity to put your learnings into the context of your own startup with a cohort of incredible women entrepreneurs by your side. You can find all of the information and register on our website, www.scaleinvestors.com.au.